Welcome to Brave. Be inspired by the best leaders of Southeast Asia tech. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. I'm Jeremy Ao, a VC founder and father. Join us for transcripts, analysis, and community at www.jeremyao.com. Important thing about Clubhouse versus podcasting is that Clubhouse is the medium, uh, whereas a podcast is the substack of audio. So what we mean by that is that uh, when it comes to medium, um, it's very much about the medium, the article being number one, um, and so there isn't much creative control around like monetization, um, you know, individual creators, top people. So you don't really see the top writers in the world really using uh, medium, although they may use it some as a customer acquisition tool. Um, so there's a lot of different articles. So Medium is becoming like a giant article or anthology of articles, uh, which is what Clubhouse is really kind of approaching for, right? Because it's bottom up, it's looking for a new wave of emerging content creators um, and kind of like building them as part of the library, right? Um, but I think for podcasting is really the substack for you know content creators in the audio format because it allows for people to own their brand, own their voice, be asynchronous, own the relationship, whereas Clubhouse doesn't, right? So, you know, if I, the moment I drop off the podcast, you know, the, your immediate call to action is to listen to the next moderator, the next guest, or another room, right? Whereas for a podcast, if you're looking at a website, you know, after you finish reading the, uh, listening to the podcast, you go to the next podcast, right? Or you go to the community, right? So it's a very different relationship, which is similar to like Substack and Medium, right? After you finish one article by a Medium article, Medium will refer to you algorithmically what they think the best article will be, but they won't necessarily refer to you to the next piece in the author's portfolio. Whereas in Substack, you know, the end point of reading his article is to read his ad article. Hey, Jeremy, on that note, I was thinking that, you know, we should... Um, post our C-Tech Clubhouse schedule on, you know, in terms of panels on like LinkedIn, on the Brave Dynamics LinkedIn. So I've been seeing quite a few people like posting screenshots of the schedule of events that they are hosting on Clubhouse. And I thought, you know, additional content, right? You just need a screenshot, like why not? Yeah, this is where the buffer or something like that would be helpful as well. Uh, more helpful than the, uh, you know, immediate posting. But yes, long story short, as I agree with you, I think, there's a good suggestion, which is we need to cross post more. Um, just because, you know, you know, we're Brave Dynamics. The Southeast Asia Tech Club is a tech club, but at the end of the day, we are the backbone right now where we're like, you know, publicizing it. We're getting guests, um, managing the moderator group. Um, we're republishing some of the content for Android users. Uh, so yeah, I think we can feel free to um, share that more on the Brave Dynamics. I think on a parallel note, you know, one of the things that I'm reflecting on because I'm part of the On Deck Podcaster Fellowship. There's like a program is like probably tightening my voice because right now my voice, of course, is jeremyow.com. And I've decided that, you know, I think Brave Dynamics is actually a very weak uh, term because, you know, it's a brand obviously, but everybody knows Jeremy Ow and people know Southeast Asia Tech Club is as obvious a name as possible, <laughs> right? Uh, but Brave Dynamics is a little bit hollow. Is this a, is this a term I like? Um, so to some extent I need to tighten the aperture of my website and to be more clear, like, you know, I'm very focused on Southeast Asian stories. Uh, and if it's not a Southeast Asian story, it's because, you know, it's related to me as a person, if that makes sense. Um, so today I was interviewing Ishii, who was my roommate in Boston. 
and obviously he wasn't a Southeast Asian tech leader, but he was talking about my relationship with him and his relationship with me, right? And that's, you know, you know, meat for the, you know, um, the system. So what we're looking at is really uh, doubling down on some of the cross chat. So I'm actually moving some of my podcast interviews process into, I don't know if some of you may have seen it, I was recording via Clubhouse. I think the quality is not as good, to be honest, because I think Squadcast actually downloads very high-res audio, whereas podcasts, you know, Squadcast, sorry, um, Clubhouse is actually optimizing for something a bit different. But what was interesting, at least, and I'm just testing it out, was um, Ishii, you know, the Leon, which I got via Clubhouse as a guest, so I like what he was saying. Um, getting like JSP from Clubhouse to also do that. is I think it's easier for them to interview with me via that format because they already are using Clubhouse. Um, it's also a good way for them to get a little bit more, a few more followers, if that makes sense, uh, from their perspective. So that's why they're a little bit more interested in doing it as well. And then thirdly, of course, is like a lot of the norms around podcasting is there, so they mute the mics automatically. Um, so which makes editing a little bit easier. Uh, so again, the sound quality is lower, but they have more, they mute more. Their phone speakers tend to be a bit better, to be honest. Mics tend a bit better than the um, yeah, laptop mics in terms of normal quality, but the recording quality is lower uh, on my end, obviously. So there's going to be some trade-offs along the way. So I'm trying to figure out what the right mix is. But, uh, but the positive sign was that we're like, you know, I'll say about, by the end of the podcast, there was about, between 30 to 50 people who are listening at any one time. And so they, now our number amount of podcast downloads right now is about what, 50? Around 50 to 100, depending on the person, let's just say. So effectively, by having 30, 50 people like listen live, we technically doubled the number of people who listen to a podcast, um, which is interesting. Yeah. And if they're interested in the, in the episode, they may reshare that episode down the road with their friends down the road. Okay, uh, Linden, Yongchen, Puja, ask, ask me one question each and I'll wrap up today. And again, this is part of the re- training session. So I'm recording the audio just so that we can, uh, you know, just uh, consolidate all these like training insights into like a anthology. Yeah. Well, I think I feel quite intimidated when I'm on Clubhouse. And I like, especially when it comes to moderating, I feel like I'm way out of my element. So is there any advice you could offer on moderating especially when we're just like students we're nowhere near um the community that we're in i guess yeah i think there's all great feedback um and a great question and i think it's a lot of it's not just shared by you as students but it's also shared by you know young professionals and other people asking me a similar question on linkedin or in person um you know at the end of the day you know I think the good thing about Clubhouse is that it simulates a dinner party really well, which is that if you're able to be at a dinner party with people and be a normal person, that's actually an interesting dinner guest, uh, then you're a great dinner guest, right? You know, and you're a great Clubhouse guest, right? Um, And I think what we also see is that when we, on the Clubhouse, we've actually gotten to hear a lot of people who we know (laughs) will not, because of the way they speak on Clubhouse, we know they're probably not great dinner guests, right? Uh, To have around a table because they're hogging up the mic, um, yeah, you know, boosting themselves too awkwardly, you know, is this, it's not a bad thing. Is this, you know, is this, uh, people have different formats, right? I have other friends who are terrible dinner guests, but amazing writers. Right. And I know other people who are great decision makers in a room, but I, you know, 
having a meal will be and having a chat would be pretty awkward, right? So I think it's not a bad thing as people have their different strengths. So I think for the group of us, we're just trying to decide whether this is a format that we enjoy and comfortable with, that's one. And of course, I think if, when we do think about it more tactically, I think there are ways to speak in a more um, composed manner. Uh, I think that's some of the feedback that we wrote up, um, you know, grounding yourself. Um, you know, people are giving you time, you know, when, I mean, I think Chachri was like, he was like, hey, does anybody have questions, right? And he's happy to share. He knows that he's legit. He's self-aware, right? And he's also aware that other people are curious about him and he wants to help, right? So, you know, I think people just have to be like, you know, yeah, if, you know, if you're a student, or I think it's not about whether you're a student or not, it's about whether you are, looking to learn or are people looking to you to learn from them, right? <laughs> to, to share with them, right? And so if you're able to just articulate and say, say, hey, you know, I'd like to learn about A, B, and C, it comes a lot more genuine, if that makes sense, versus like, you know, I think a lot of people are trying to puff themselves up to make themselves sound much more legit than they actually are. And then it comes across really awkward because, you know, we're all self-aware. It doesn't come across natural, right? So I think Pooja, you know, I wouldn't say like, oh, you have to say I'm a student because there's also a bit of self-disqualification there. But you can just say something like if someone, you know, you're in a room that you're something's interesting, you might be like, oh, you know, I never thought about it that way. Could you share a little bit more about what that means in the Southeast Asia context, right? Just keep it short and sweet, right? Um, and it's an inquisitive question. It's a value-added question, right? Um, because we, we're going to get a good answer from there, right? So it's really important that we focus on um, localizing at least in a Southeast Asia tech club, for example, localizing the questions to Southeast Asia, bringing it down to earth and grounding it, right? We don't want to talk about crypto. We want to talk about crypto in Southeast Asia, for example. But and but the same grounding is reality is important. So Pooja, when you speak with others, guests and everything, is you're grounding them, right? You're saying, hey, I'm looking to learn. Um, what do you think about A, B, and C? Full stop, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so for my previous few, like, very brief appearances on Clubhouse. Um, I think one thing I've been kind of curious about is how, I guess how sticky the topic of Southeast Asia has to be. So, um, I guess maybe another way to say it is, um, it's also on a tangent with Pooja. So, so on one hand, like, you know, sometimes founders or investors will come together to just talk about Southeast Asia and, um, they will sometimes go into pretty deep in a certain topic. Um, and as a moderator, sometimes it's very difficult for me to kind of like, um, find a, find a place to like ask them or find a, an angle for them, for me to ask them questions about. Um, one thing I tend to do naturally would be probably to like center it on the, on the fact that I'm a student and, um, I'm here to like kind of like hear their perspectives and stuff. Um, but I think one, one thing is that like, um, yeah, I think, I think one thing that I'm still trying to learn is, um, how exactly do I ask that without shifting the conversation far away from like what they were talking about and like kind of distracting the train of thought. Um, also because like sometimes I'm joining in midway the conversation. So I'm not sure like, if listeners are very intent on listening about what these people are talking. So like for me to suddenly like say something like, oh, I'm a student, I would love to hear about like so-and-so. 
I'm not sure if that will like completely derail the the conversation and the interest. Yeah. So I think that's like pretty much a main reason why like I've been finding it hard unless there's no conversation or if the room just opened. So I feel like there's a lot more comfort space for me there. Yeah. So let's use the dinner table analogy, right? So imagine the dinner has been going on for 20 minutes and these two experts in the relative, three experts in the relative fields are eating and discussing about, you know, startup valuations, I don't know, over a meal of like tak and, you know, <laughs> and some noodles and you, 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 you know, you came in late, right? You're, you know, uh, and they're open for you to come in. So you join the fourth year table. How would you, would you, would you ask that question? Or would you derail the conversation or would you keep it going? I will most likely, okay, so assuming that, yeah, assuming they're very deep into the conversation, what I'll probably do is that like, I'll quietly listen and try to find an angle to like kind of continue the conversation. Um, but um, I think those are like rare moments. So like what usually happens is that I will probably end up just listening and just try to nod. And then um, only very rarely will I find like angles for me to ask questions about. Yeah, I think it's a super fair question. So I think this applies not just to Clubhouse, but like how to have meetings with people who are more senior, right, in around the social setting. Um, I think there's a simple fun fact, which is that, you know, the experts, so experts like to share the expertise, right? And I think we learn when we, when the more they share the expertise, right? So I don't think we should always look at angling as saying like, like what, do I, what can I ask or what can I value add, if that makes sense? Um, but, you know, keeping the conversation going is its own reward. Does it make sense? Because you don't want the meal, if you're working with like three experts, you don't want the, the three experts to walk away from a meeting saying, wow, you know, Chen, you know, super awkward the way you cut in about startup valuation asked about crypto. <laughs> you know, they'll probably be polite enough to answer the question about crypto itself. But what they walk away with is that they're like, I don't think Young Chen is a great uh, conversationalist, right? Does it make sense? And so you kind of like, you know, win the battle, but lose the war a little bit there, right? You know? So, you know, just, you know, I think you want to work the other way around, which is, you know, how do you be, be part of the flow and help the conversation go deeper? How do you help the conversation be smoother? Does it make sense? Just, you know, I think the big difference between me as a moderator versus other people who have been trying to moderate and there's some feedback and you guys can see is some moderators just feel like they have to answer every question. And other moderators are just like, oh, that's an interesting question. Uh, Mark, you have a good you know, point of view on that. Why don't you respond to it, right? You know, like you're like traffic control to some extent. Uh, and you want, you know, you let the conversation breathe a little bit, right? You know, you're not breathless trying to jump in on everything. So I could jump in on everything, but I don't need to, right? You know what I mean? Um, and good experts choose not to do that because they want, you know, good experts become experts because they listen to other people, right? <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, like, there's a funny part, right? It's like you look at the best experts in the world, they're really good active listeners um, and they're very inquisitive because they became experts by learning from other people, right? So you see like really like top tier thing and, you know, let's go back to the dinner table analogy. The three experts, when you sit down at the table, they know that you're there. Um, so they're going to involve you at some point. Does it make sense? The three of them are going to say something like, hey, um, looks like you're trying to join uh, you know, obviously we've been talking about startup valuations. As a student, what do you think about startup valuations? Like, and then you'd be like, oh, I don't know anything about them. It feels like a very arcane art, you know, and I'm just learning a lot from listening to you all. Uh, how did you learn anything about startup valuations, right? 
And then there's like a very natural, I'm just giving an example, right? Uh, segue, right? In, for them to say like, oh, that's a good point. Let's let's try to simplify our conversation and um, abstract it one more level down, right? Um, to make to bring you into the fold. Does it make sense? Um, and I think that's one of the big things for Clubhouse is like, that's why the better quality rooms have smaller groups, higher quality experts, and a moderator is actually moderating uh, and not letting like the conversation go into what I call like um, very flighty, you know, um, like three minutes on one topic, then seven minutes on another topic, then three minutes on another topic, right? It's like the best ones are actually trying to get deep into the thing. And we have to trust that. The alg- I think if you're looking at it from a, for low count basis, then it's not very good because, you know, obviously, you know, the three and a seven gets lots of different types of folks into the room. And it's like Twitter, right? You know, everybody's abstracted out. But, you know, I think if you're just trying to be like, you know, be a point of view and have high quality conversation and give to the community something real, then it's better go deeper, right? So the Chattery conversation was great because before that, he had only been talking in about a few minutes at a time and he was listening a lot as well. Because I think he was himself was learning the the medium and he was thinking to himself, what do I want to talk about? And he was also meeting people he never got to meet, right? Uh, but yesterday he was finally able to say like, I'm willing to be deep and I'm also willing to be the moderator and I'm going to moderate and ask let people ask me questions and I'm going to be mindful that not everyone <laughs> set up, uh, you know, a startup and company like mine, right? And he was very mindful about that. You could see him talk about himself, not necessarily the way he would talk about himself to to Jeremy, if that makes sense, right? Or talking in a way to another founder or VC, right? He was explicitly tailoring his language to be like, wow, lots of these, most of these people in this room have never done a startup before, right? Or junior, right? And he, he was explicit about it, right? So I think, I think you're trying to just, like, what I'm trying to say here is like, you know, when it comes to the conversation, remember that the other three people at the table are mindful that people like you exist in the audience. So they are they themselves are accommodating the conversation already at a dinner table and in clubhouse. Um, and then as a moderator, our roles are to help facilitate and be traffic control um, and keep the conversation flowing, right? You know, and be supportive of one another. Um, yeah, uh, my question is not about clubhouse, but it was a question that I wanted to ask on the clubhouse, uh, but I didn't get a chance to. But I just wanted to ask, how did you find your career mentors and maybe even who are your career mentors uh, early in your career and, and how it involved to today? Yeah, I think uh, Paul Thumb was a big one at Bain. Um, you know, the truth for us, you know, I was working at Bain and I was working on my social enterprise at the same time. And so it was a very much a tough, you know, dual nature that, you know, I was very frank with him. And I think the part I appreciated most about him was that he was very frank um, and he chose to be more direct, not in an unkind way, but but he just chose that if he had to choose being more, being more direct versus indirect, you know, he chose to be more direct and more personable, right? Um, and also trying to work hard to explain the deeper level, like uh, principles of what's going on, actually. And I think it kind of sucks because, you know, when you receive feedback and everything and conversation, like when it's a very direct conversation, it feels more painful, for sure. Uh, but I think it's like in retrospect, I've always benefited more from those conversations, if that makes sense, um, rather than less, right? Whereas those people that were very like, you know, you know, very indirect or very, you know, complimentary end up, 
you know, not necessarily being in a bad conversation because it made me feel better, but may not necessarily be as like um, solid, right, for building something. So, um, so I think Paul has been a good role model in how I coach and give feedback to people. Um, I'm not saying he's perfect, neither am I saying I'm perfect, but I think he, I think he made me feel as a mentee and as a junior person to him, I felt like I was able to trust him in saying something and I was able to trust that he'll give me direct feedback uh, that was, had my interest in mind. Does it make sense? If, if it was direct feedback that his interest in mind, it'll be very irrelevant, right? You know, but he was like, if I was your shoes, this is what I would do, A, B, and C. And this is where you're falling short, right? A, B, C. And that, that's helpful because, you know, life, you know, life's full of Twitter, right? You know, life's full of, you know, motivational quotes. And don't get me wrong, I have a, I have a bunch of motivational quotes on my phone, right? You know, uh, you know, you can do anything, reach for, you know, you know, shoot, shoot for the moon. And if not, you reach stars and then you're like, oh no, like if you missed the moon and you went for the stars, you're like dead because you know, it's instead of like a, you know, a couple months trip, it's going to be like a forever trip into the stars, right? <laughs> with, with the oxygen. Um, but you know, like that's the dynamic for everybody. Yeah. Actually, I just want to bring the conversation um, back to Clubhouse. I'm so curious, you know, like over the last few weeks, um, how has Clubhouse helped you, you know, professionally or even personally? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think Clubhouse has helped me, um, I think in different domains, right? So different spheres. Uh, let's talk about personally and then professionally, I would say. I think personally, I've gotten to actually hear a lot of interesting people speak. Um, a couple of moments that stood out for me was, you know, I got to hear um, a Taiwanese American cry over her Taiwanese parents' love for Trump because, you know, they believe that, you know, Trump is the most anti-China and so they are anti-China. So it's kind of like a natural alignment. And she was distraught over that because she's looking at it more from a domestic slash, you know, values perspective, right? You know, whereas from her Taiwanese parents, it was more transactional, not transactional, but it's more like the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? Kind of dynamic. Got to hear a cry, which was very, very um, abrupt. <laughs> you know, it was like a bit shocked to listen because was, that was like in my first week, right? Listening of it. Uh, and, but it was so real uh, and so raw. And I never thought about it that way. I, I, I was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like that's a real reality. And, you know, I, would have been a very difficult conversation for me to hear, right? Or be part of, right? Because, you know, the Taiwanese, it was, you know, Taiwanese <laughs> dinner table. So everyone's like Taiwanese, you know? Uh, but it was a group of like, I don't know, a couple hundred people, Taiwanese people. I was just in the fringes listening in, right? And I didn't bother raising my hand or trying to speak or moderate. I was just part of the audience listening. And I was like, whoa, like, that's a real conversation. That's, that's authentic and raw. And I learned something, right? Um, not just the physical reality of how, and what they're supportive about, again, on the politics side, but again, also the emotionality of the identity to be torn between the parents and, and her own values, right? So that was a really real value. Um, you know, now one conversation I had a few days ago was I got to hear some interesting, like Southeast Asia diaspora across the world kind of stories. And so I was able to hear um, interesting stories about, you know, you know, Vietnamese people who grew up in France, right? So the first generation French people, um, uh, but, you know, 
last names are Vietnamese, you know, they look Vietnamese, but, you know, they're kind of like in between France and Vietnam. You're like, oh, wait, yeah, you're right. Like, you know, Vietnam, you know, spent many years um, in France. Uh, and sorry, so Vietnam has spent so many years with France. Uh, and so obviously there's got to be some, you know, migrant flow in that sense. And I was like, oh, I didn't hear that story. I was going to hear like uh, someone, she was like, you know, um, you know, I guess ethnically she was half Filipino, half black, you know, nationality wise, she's American. Um, and she's in between walls, right? <laughs> you know, those are three very in between walls because she's like what Asian dash black American, you know, Blasian, you can call it, but she's also Filipino and she's just wondering what her role is and identity. So I was like, wow, like, you know, I think that was a very real moment. I mean, I don't think I learned anything particularly new about valuations or technology, maybe because I already been some sense so many years and expand those things. But those were the stories that was really interesting to me to listen to and hear. Um, um, so I think that's how I think about professionally. I think just hearing some really raw human stories was really fun. Um, and I think that's one of the benefits of going deeper ending in stories is just like getting here, those moments. Um, yeah, professionally, sure. You know, I've got, you know, followers, you know, it's like what, 6,000 followers soon. Uh, obviously there's a large club. Um, I wouldn't say that anyone's, and I think obviously people have been adding me on LinkedIn as a result. So they're reaching out uh, and asking me for more advice uh, and of which I steer them towards the discussion boards because, you know, I think a lot of the people who ask me for advice are pretty similar in terms of what they're looking for. So the more we can consolidate resources and, you know, summaries and notes and helpful comments there, you know, the more the whole group benefits. Um, so yeah, there's about a hundred folks now, right? Who are kind of like, dipping in from time to time to share notes and discuss stuff. Um, I think what's been interesting as well has been able to like find good guests, you know, like if they are a great clubhouse host um, or speaker from my perspective, then I've been reaching out to them and saying, hey, I'd like to, you know, would you like to share your story more of your podcast, right? And because I think for them, they are helping facil facilitate, they're helping moderate, uh, but they're not necessarily getting to go I want to hear their own story, right? Because you're like, you're such a good moderator. Yes, you know, you know your stuff, you're able to chip in when you need to have. I'm like, you probably have a really interesting story, right? Um, and they wouldn't necessarily be the people that are absolutely like brand name, brand name. But now I know that it's going to be an interesting and fun podcast to do, right? Um, so obviously I had no idea that Chachi of course, is not, you know, he's not brand name, say, in Southeast Asia tech per se. But based on how you spoke, you know, I was like, wow, this would be a good conversation to have, right? Um, so I think professionally there's that on a podcast and then obviously, you know, people reach out and feel like, you know, I have something to share. So I guess you could say like people are starting to see, think, see me as helpful uh, because I think I try, when I speak, I also try not to be too like cookie cutter, like PR, press release, vanilla, you know, I'm trying to say it, right? Like, like, I try to very, very hard to be like understanding what the question is and just being as direct as possible and then saying like, okay, you know, like for example, like not everyone can be a VC and not everyone can be, well, everyone can be a founder, but not everyone will be a successful founder. Right. Um, and so you have to be mindful of the risks, the, you know, the outcomes, the approach. Right. And that's a tough conversation to have in any forum. Right. Um, especially in the public one. So, 
yeah. So I think that's, I, you know, I wouldn't say it's necessarily clubhouse, clubhouse, but I think it's more like you see it's a mesh and mesh of like what I've gotten to hear as a consumer on the personal side, and also to some extent to showcase my expertise on the professional side. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this part, please share this episode with friends and colleagues. Sign up at www.jeremyow.com to discuss this episode with other community members in our forum. Stay well and stay brave.